Church, open your Bibles. We will continue today in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 7. And we're continuing in a series that I've called Untangled. Paul continues to address the Corinthian church on thinking that they have, actions that they have that maybe need some help and correction. And so he's untangling the problems that they have. And if you recall, there's five issues that he's dealing with. Right now we're in the second of those five issues with deals with sexuality and marriage. And we will continue in that uh, theme today. It's very easy to be unhappy with life. To want an upgrade or a scene change. And that's part of, I think, the human condition is that we want some of those things sometimes. I have some statistics here on young Americans. They are restless and on the move. At least pre-pandemic they were. Uh, 59% of Americans age 18 to 35 currently live somewhere other than their hometown. 80% have moved at least once other than college. And of the ones that have moved, 41% say that the move is temporary. In other words, they view the, the move as a constant source of change and a constant source of, of altering their lives. Journalist Rainsford Stoffer examines the mobility and she says the wanderlust in this way. She says, comfort means you've played it safe. And putting down roots means you've missed the adventure of finding yourself. This is an adventure that can only play out by ping-ponging from city to backpacking trip and back again. But Stauffer also is reflective about the cost of all that moving. And here's what she says. Each new move and new beginning meant new people, new jobs, and new situations, which had to be started from scratch each time. It was supposed to feel like freedom. Instead, all the newness, all the time, felt eerily like being lost. Newness was supposed to make life exciting, not empty. But because I was perpetually starting over, I lacked any ties to people to share new discoveries with. Exploration and all it entails, finding yourself, finding home, finding love, finding likes and dislikes, only works if we give, ourselves, if we give our discoveries a chance to strengthen their hold on us. There is a place for adventure, there's a place for risk, there's a place for change, but sometimes there's unintended consequences to that. Sometimes we learn the most about ourselves and the most about God with less activity, less change, less frenetic pace. And today Paul wants to talk about those issues, those issues of really remaining where we are with the Corinthian church. And we're in chapter 7 and I'm picking up today in verse 14. So follow along in your Bibles, chapter 7 verse 14 Paul says it this way, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his calling already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you, if you gain your freedom to, your, to, uh, to all yourself, give the opportunity. Avail yourself, excuse me, of the opportunity. 
For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when he was called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called there, in that condition, let him remain with God. In this passage today, Paul is very clear about what he wants the church to do. In fact, he's so clear that he says it three times in this short passage. Let me give you the verses in which he has the theme of this passage. And here they are. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which he's called him. That's 17. 20. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. 20. And verse 20. And then verse 24. In whatever condition each was called there, let him remain with God. Here's the theme that Paul has for this passage. Remain where you are. That's what he's saying. Remain where you are. Remain where you are. Bloom where you're planted. That is the theme of what Paul wants to communicate today to the church in Corinth and the church uh, here in Edmonds. Before we apply this any further, let's remember the stream of, of discussion that he has here with the Corinthians. And if you recall last week, there were some Corinthians that were saying, in order to really be happy and useful to God, we need to get out of our singleness and be married because married is better than singleness. Or they said, we need to ditch those pagan uh, spouses that we have. We came to know Christ and we need to ditch the pagan spouses and marry Christian ones. And so their argument was, we need change. And Paul's saying, no, you don't. Not in those matters of your marriage or singleness. Remain where you are. Changing your single or marriage status does not improve your ability to know God or be used by God. And so that's, again, the argument he's giving to the Corinthian church. I want to apply this more broadly today, past marriage or singleness, and I want to apply this to so many areas of our life where we would say, if I could just be somewhere else, it would be much better. If I could just be somebody else, it would be so much better. And that's what I want to look at today. Why should we remain where we are? In the passage today, Paul's going to give three reasons why we should remain where we are. And we'll explore what that even means to remain where we are. The first reason why we should remain where we are is because God's call is in this place. God's call is in the place where you are right now. Notice verse 17. It says God has assigned you a place. He's assigned you a space and a spot in time. For most of us, we were born Americans. Maybe there's a few here today that were born Canadians or born in other parts of the world. But for the most part, we're a group that's born here in America, maybe even in this area. You were born to a specific family, warts and all. I know it's not a perfect family, but that's the family that you were born into. You were born with a certain body, a certain height, a certain hair color, a certain mental acuity. Now, I remember uh, growing up especially, I wished I was taller. Five foot seven is not very big, and I loved athletic sports, and I could only dream of being six foot two and what I could do if I had been bigger. And, you know, my mom kept telling me the same thing that moms tell everybody. Well, sweetheart, you can do anything you want in life. And something told me as I kind of moved my way through my athletic time that five foot seven was not going to cut it for a major league baseball career, certainly would not cut it for an NBA career. That was clearly out. 
And so again, there was something about me saying, all right, I need to learn how to be settled into this body. I need to be, learn how to be settled with the body that God has given me because it's got certain gifts even if it doesn't have other gifts. It's so easy to believe that being in another place or being uh, in a spot where uh, it, it has better opportunities, at least in our mind, is, is making us believe that the grass is always greener in another spot. If I could have a different job, I could finally be happy. If I could have a different spouse, well, I could soar. If I could get rid of this loser family, it would be better. But God has called you where you are. And furthermore, in verse 17, Paul says, walk in that way. Walk in the way. It's, it's translated here, lead the life that God, God's called you to. But literally, the Greek means walk in the way in which God has called you. God are, is already very intimately acquainted with that path in which he's put you on. And he's saying, now walk in that. Walk in that. Make your way in that path in which you have been given. And use all the gifts, all the talents, all the opportunities, and you might be surprised about how much God wants to use you right where you are. Soren Kierkegaard, the famous philosopher, has a story about the parable of the lily. And I thought it was especially appropriate for this idea of remaining where you are. Here's the way he tells it. There once was a lily who lived a happy life besides a rippling brook. The beautiful little flower in its simple surroundings was content and carefree until one day. Until the one day when the bird showed up. The, now this feathered visitor was a show-off. He was a braggart and a teller of tales. It would swoop in and fill the lily's head full of stories of better places and far more beautiful flowers. Uh, each story was crafted to convey the message that in comparison to the other flowers and other places, this poor lily was a nobody. A failed lily, captive to simplicity, embarrassingly inadequate. But the bird, oh, he was there to help. The bird had an answer. So together they formulated a plan. Early one morning, the bird landed beside the lily and began pecking away at the soil around its roots. Now liberated, the lily was placed under the wings of the bird, and away they flew to the better place. And in that better place, where lilies are more beautiful, where life was fuller, where the flower told itself, it would truly be lily-worthy of its name. But alas, they never made it. High in the heavens, rootless and finally free of its former constraints, the lily withered, and the lily died. We can convince ourselves that something else can be so much better than where we are. But God is reminding us today, bloom where you're planted. Remain where you are. There are opportunities right there in front of you if you'll only look for them. All right, let's continue on. Why remain where we are? Well, because social status doesn't enhance our usefulness. And in this case, Paul gives two examples of this, two examples that would drive home this idea that if I change my social status, it won't necessarily make me know God more or be more useful to God. And those two examples for the Corinthian society were circumcision and slavery. I know that might be a little distant for us and maybe something that we have to unpack a little bit to understand why he would use those examples. But those are the two examples that he uses. Let's try to understand those. Circumcision was a very important aspect of Jewish life life. In fact, if you were a Jewish male, it showed that you were marked by God, that you belonged to God, and that you were obedient to Torah, or you were obedient to the law. But Paul says that you should not tempt to be uncircumcised or circumcised. And it's like, I first read that again this week, and I was like, what does he mean by that? 
how, how could a man attempt to be uncircumcised? And I had to study that a little bit and look into that. And believe it or not, there is a surgery to reverse the effects of circumcision. Now, I don't have pictures. I'm not going to go into details today. I'm not going to uh, expand on that. But you need to trust me that there is a procedure to reverse the effects of that. Now, again, that might beg the question. Why would somebody want to appear uncircumcised? Well, in Corinth, it was a Roman colony. And as a result of every Roman colony had the baths. Men would go into baths with men. Women would go into the baths with women. And it was the place in which you would show up many times unclothed, no bathing suits, not even a Speedo, a natural. And that was the way that the Romans rolled. And so again, you might imagine it was the place where relationships would be formed, where business deals would go down, and most Roman men were uncircumcised. So what would happen if you, in your Jewishness, showed up there and you looked a little different, and would that somehow stain some of the relationships that were around you, or at least that would be the feeling that you would have, and so it would actually appear that there were some men who wanted to appear to be uncircumcised and might have this procedure so that they could accomplish that. On the flip side, you have some individuals that said, I want to prove how zealous I am for God, how committed I am to God. And they weren't circumcised as infants. And so they made the decision later to prove their zealousness that they would be circumcised. And so again, that was a show of, of just how religiously observant they were or religiously serious they were. And Paul says, don't you know? That's not what's important. That, that circumcision of the flesh, that's not what's important. Obeying God's commands, that's what really matters. And so don't be, don't be moved to try to change the outside. Focus upon what's on the inside and don't just, don't, don't just seek for something else new and something else different. Look into the, your, your heart and look at the way God is working on the inside of you and become obedient, become responsive to that. Obey God with who you are. Obey God with where you are. Don't try to be somebody else. Use what God has given you and really be in the place where God has, has planted you and use the gifts that He's given you for that place. Pastor Miles McPherson said that he walked out of his office one morning and there facing him in the hallway was a man that was probably six foot four, 250. He says he was looking like more of a linebacker. But he said he was in cut off shorts and a sweatshirt and he was tatted all over his body. The man said, uh, Pastor, I'm here today because I'm going to volunteer for my first uh, volunteer opportunity at this church for uh, a, a ministry. And he said, well, you know, tell me more about this. He says, I'm actually a little bit nervous about this. And he says, why are you nervous? And he said, well, you know, you keep on saying, you know, let, let's be involved in, and, and get after it and, and serve in some way. And so he said, I'm, I'm here today to become a part of the knitting ministry. And he said, well, he said, actually, not knitting, not knitting. It's actually crochet. And so he says, oh, you have to tell me more. And he says, this huge guy that was this NFL tackle seemed nervous about joining a ministry in which it made blankets and hats for hospitalized children. Curious, I asked him how he learned how to crochet. And the man said, well, for 12 years I was a hell's angel. And he says, I learned how to crochet in prison. He says, I know the one thing, it's one thing that I can do for the Lord. Just about the time he says I was finishing my conversation with Jim, he said this woman came along and she grabbed him by the hand and took him along. She says, are you Jim? 
she gave him a big grin and took his hand and she walked down the hallway together. And it seemed like his unique ability to crochet, when you package that with his life, didn't make any sense. But that's what God had given to him. And the ripple effects of that would be tremendous. Imagine if Jim was worrying about what others would think about his crocheting for Jesus. He wouldn't do it if he thought that others would uh, look down on him for that. But that's the gift that he had to give, and that he did. And it was for the glory of God. Let's switch to the other example. That's circumcision. Let's switch to slavery. And it's another example, again, of remaining where we are. Let's remember that it's estimated that 30% of the population in the ancient Roman world were slaves. 30%. When we think about slavery in the U.S., there's one thing that comes to our mind, slavery in the South, and there's not a direct correlation between ancient slavery in the first century and necessarily the slavery in our country because slavery was for different reasons. Slavery was a, first of all, a debt slavery. So if you racked up too much debt, you could actually become a slave to work that debt off. You could become a, a, a debt, a slave out of debt from a crime So you had to work off the crime that you committed, or you might become a prisoner of war. I mean, again, again, the Romans had a warring machine, and so they would bring back captives from war, and those individuals oftentimes ended up being slaves. Slaves worked in all aspects of society, from homes to markets to farms, and they were oftentimes even public servants. I learned this week that slaves in the ancient world could be police officers, they could be ushers, secretaries, sweet, uh, street sweepers, even merchant vendors. And so again, they filled up all different aspects of Roman society. And in most instances, slaves could also work towards their freedom. So if you were in debt, you could work until you worked off that debt and then you would be free and out of that bondage to work off that debt. So again, it was a little different in our minds. Still slavery and we can't get past that, but still uh, a little different from what we might imagine. Slavery was so common in the ancient world that it made a great example for Paul. Paul says being a slave does not stop you from knowing God or being useful to Him. Now, he gives a little caveat here. He says, if you can gain your freedom, go for it. I mean, I want opportunity for everybody, Paul says, and it's better. If you can gain your freedom, it's a better thing. But don't try to convince yourself that you're not useful to God where you are right now. You're useful to God even as a slave in the ancient world. Maybe a little change of context would help us here because if we substituted work for slavery, it might help us in our context. Perhaps you believe that you have a menial job. and You go every day, you turn the crank, you serve the man, And you think, if I had a better job, man, I would just be so much better. And God's saying, bloom where you're planted. Make yourself useful where you are. Show up. Do your work. Care for the people that are around you at your work. Make your employer look good. This is the way to obey God right where you are. And that's what is Paul's command again to the church, is make every effort to be useful exactly in the place in which God has placed you. You can always attempt to be somewhere else. You can always attempt to look past the instance of where God has planted you right now. You can look for opportunities that are far away and something that's right in front of you is what's tapping on you. And so you might have the best opportunities that are in front of you, but you overlook those. In order to help you understand this idea, I have a little video I have uh, queued up for you here. And I want you to watch this. I won't introduce it in any way, but watch this. 
Count how many times the players wearing white pass the ball. The correct answer is 16 passes. Did you spot the gorilla? For people who haven't seen or heard about a video like this before, about half missed the gorilla. If you knew about the gorilla, you probably saw it. But did you notice the curtain changing color or the player on the black team leaving the game? Let's rewind and watch it again. Here comes the gorilla, and there goes a player, and the curtain is changing from red to gold. When you're looking for a gorilla, you often miss other unexpected events. How many got 16 passes? Well, some of you. How many saw the gorilla? How many saw the curtain change? A couple of you saw the curtain change. I missed the curtain change completely. I did see the person leave the, uh, the game, as it were. I use that to remind all of us that there's all kinds of things that are going on right in front of us. And if our attention is somewhere else, oftentimes we will miss some of the greatest opportunities God has placed in your family, in your work, in your church, in your relationships, and sometimes it means just slowing down long enough to look at some of those great opportunities that God has given to us. Well, there's one more thing I want you to see today. The third reason why Paul says remain where you are is that where you are is always bound to God, but it's free towards men or free towards people. Let me explain that to you today. In bringing up slavery, Paul turns to spiritual slavery, and he says everybody who's been called by Christ, Christ is a bondservant to Christ or a slave to Christ. He says we were all bought with a price. That price is the obedience of Jesus to live a perfect life, to be obedient to death, even death on a cross for crimes he never committed, and to pour out his blood as a sacrifice for our rebellion and our sinfulness against God. So with such a high price paid, we're all indebted to God and we submit ourselves to God and we give our allegiance to God. That's what we're called to give is, is allegiance. That's one of the nine traits of a maturing disciple here at CCF. And nine, by nine traits, we mean nine things that exemplify somebody who walks with God. You can look those up on our website. But one of our high traits and high values is allegiance. It means loyalty to Jesus. It means making Him first. It means listening to Him and obeying Him. And so if God says it, that's what we wish to do. We wish to be obedient servants of Christ. But in contrast, he says that you're not always slaves to people any longer. In fact, this is the way he says it. Do not become bondservants of men. They were tempted, as it were, to become slaves to people all over again. And every time that they listened to those people about what they were calling them to do to change aspects of their lives, then they were becoming slaves to people. 
When they were saying, mm, singleness, that's not good enough, you've got to be married. They were becoming slaves to those people. When they were listening and saying, you better divorce that, that, that pagan spouse of yours and get a Christian. When they were listening and trying to respond to that, they were becoming slaves to people. And so Paul's saying, you're not slaves of people any longer, but it's so, honestly, it's so easy for us to try to listen to what people, other people think or what they want or their judgment upon us. And, uh, you know, we can become very responsive to those things that people think or feel and want to change something about our lives. I've got a couple of things to show you that I think exemplify this. Uh, this is one of my favorite memes over the last month. And here's what it says. When you're afraid, well, excuse me, when you and your friends survive a bear attack and celebrate with ice cream. And you'll notice the uh, girls all have the ripped jeans. Those are very back, by the way. And every time I'm seeing those ripped jeans, I'm like, okay, that's a fashion style that's back around. And it's easy for young ladies to go, that's the fashion style, so that's what I'm going to wear. And, and, you know, there's just automatically something that would say, I want to kind of be in. Now, again, I was a young person at one time, and I remember the trends of fashion. And I have to show you one of the fashion trends that was in middle school for me. Here it is. It's called Earth Shoes. Anybody remember Earth Shoes? And you see those wavy soles there. And I thought I was very cool to have my earth shoes and go to middle school until some boys on the playground said, those are girl shoes. And at that moment, I did not want to wear those earth shoes any longer. I was, I was done with earth shoes in my life at that moment. Here's what I want you to know. People's opinion is a powerful force. But listen carefully. You're no longer slaves to people. You're only a slave to the Lord. It's what the Lord says that counts the most. And that is a freeing aspect of our lives with Christ. Doesn't mean that we won't be fashionable. Doesn't mean that we won't at times obviously move with trends and culture. But the big things, the things that really matter, we now become no longer slaves to people and their opinions or their judgments and we are now just slaves. We are attached ourselves to God who's always on the lookout for our best. Remain where you are. God has called you to the place where you are. A change in social status won't make you more useful to God. And you're bound to God, but you're free to other people. So think today, are you content with your life? Is there something that you're hoping would be better than what you've got right now? Buy this, look like this, change this, think about this. Those are all things that society or even friends might tell you at times. And Paul is generally saying, hey, resist that. Remain where you are. So I have a challenge for you today. I want you to think of two things in your life right now that are valuable to you and valuable to God. Two things that are in your life, your season of life right now, the gifts that you have, the position where God has placed you, Two things that are valuable to you and valuable to God. For some of you, this might be an ability that God has given you. For some, you might say, I finally got time to do some things that I want to do. Care for my grandchildren or pursue some aspect of life that I've neglected for a time. Others of you might say something like, I'm, I'm creative and I have that ability to give to God. Or I've got a sharp mind. What are two things right now that God has given you in this place, in this season, and how might you lean into that to remain where you are? That is Paul's call for us today, to remain where we are. I'd like to end with a benediction today. 
And it's a benediction. I know it's not time for the benediction yet, but I want to give this to you because I think it speaks about what this aspect is of living out our lives where we are. Richard Halverson was a pastor at a Presbyterian church in Bethesda, Maryland, but he also had the distinction of serving in the United States Senate as the chaplain. And every time he concluded a service as a chaplain or as a pastor, he ended with a specific benediction. That's the benediction I want you to read with me today or just uh, follow along as I read. Here's what it says. Wherever you go, God's sending you. Wherever you are, God's put you there. God has a purpose in your being right where you are. Christ, who indwells you by the power of His Spirit, wants to do something in and through you. Believe this and go in His grace, His love, His power, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, you have gifted every one of us and placed us in a specific location, a specific family, a specific set of relationships, a specific set of responsibilities. You've given that to us and you say walk in that. We confess to you, Lord, that sometimes we want something different than what you've given. Today we seek Holy Spirit to walk out the path that you have given to us for your glory. And if we look around many times, some of the best opportunities are right in front of us. Let us grasp those today and do those with your power, with your purpose, and for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.